Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Uh, 7th of April. I only bring that up because um, people are losing track of time. And so I feel responsible to just remind you it's Tuesday. So let me ask this. um, Are we actually ready as Christians, as the disciples of Christ in this generation, as the saints? Are we ready for all the people that God is right now drawing to himself in the midst of this pandemic? Um, We have been praying for revival. And uh, we have been openly asking like, what would it be like? What would the signs be? How would we know if it started to happen, if revival, if God really start started to bring revival, not only here in the United States, but around the world? How would we know that people were turning to God? Well, here are two headlines I offer up this morning as, um, as signs of hope, as signs of sunrise. CBS News and others are reporting that doctors and nurses are gathering on hospital rooftops to pray for patients and families. Here is, uh, this is directly from the CBS story. When you have a few extra minutes at work, you take the time to go to the helipad and pray, says Angela, uh, Angela Gleaves, a nurse from Vanderbilt Hospital in Tennessee. She wrote this on Facebook, sharing several photos of herself and her colleagues on the hospital roof. Quote, we prayed over the staff in our unit, as well as all of the hospital employees. We prayed over the patients and their families during this very trying time. We prayed for all of our colleagues around the world taking care of patients. It felt good to do this. With some of my amazing co-workers, we could feel God's presence in the wind. Hmm. Know that you are all covered in prayer, she wrote. Um, it caught the attention of the vice president of the United States who tweeted it out. And others responded then uh, by similar pictures of similar gatherings happening on rooftops on hospitals, not only uh, in this country, but around the world. God is drawing people to himself. It grieves me that it comes at such a high cost of human life and so many other costs that people are enduring. But God will use even this to turn hearts toward himself. People are also, here's the second headline for you, buying Bibles in record numbers. Lifeway Christian Resources has seen an increase of 60, 62% in Bible sales last week. Uh, Ben Mandrell, the new LifeWay CEO, said, we believe this is no accident. People often go to the Bible as a source of hope in times of crisis and uncertainty. People draw hope from the scriptures because uh, it's where they see God. Well, indeed, Tyndall also has seen an increase in Bible Bible sales, excuse me, especially for their Life Application Study Bible, the Immerse Bible for Study Groups, uh, and other Bibles in their online store. Um, Jim Jewell, communications director for Tendall House, says it's not surprising that people turn to the comfort and clarity of the Bible in times of trouble and uncertainty. We've been seeing this at Tendall uh, during the last month. Strong Bible sales, strong Bible engagement in our social media platforms. And you're asking, well, what about the Instagram generation? Yes, they are buying Bibles as well. Um, Alabaster is a small business in California that sells these beautiful 
books of the Bible. Each book of the Bible ha- it contained in its own book with some amazing um, photographs, really for the Instagram generation. They have seen an increase of 143% compared to the same period of time last year. So I want to lift up in the midst of that Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which reminds us that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. But people also need others to read with them that they might understand what they are reading. So start wherever they are and read with them as the gospel unfolds in every book of the Bible. I want us to look back a couple of verses. So in Romans 10, we're going to pick up at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So, saints, fellow saints in the Lord today, if you are in Christ, if you are listening right now, if you are a fellow saint in the gospel, then this is the day that God is sending you, like Philip, to seek out those who are searching for God. Remember Philip ran, ran alongside the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, didn't understand what he was reading, uh, invited Philip up in to help him understand and starting from right where he was, read with him to the point of understanding. This is Holy Week. So I want you to turn with um, with people to, let's start at John 13 and just go from there or start in, in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 46, and go from there or start with the lament of their heart and go from there. God's mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. And God wants nothing more than for, day, for today to be the day of salvation for millions of people. And you and I have those uh, feet that are gospel ready and beautiful uh, to those who are coming to faith. Next up, I've got Pastor Mark Vrogrop. He and I are going to talk about the dark clouds and the deep mercy of God. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. All right, many of us uh, and many around us certainly only see dark clouds right now, but we know the deep mercy of God. Joining me now, Mark Vrogrop. You have heard him here before talking about this book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. He is the pastor of the College Park Church somewhere in Indiana. I don't have that in my notes. Mark, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's great to be with you again. Thanks for having me. Where in Indiana are you? We are in Indianapolis. Oh, I'll see. If I had just like thrown a dart at the map and picked one, that's what I would have picked. But I was born in Muncie. So, you know, it's uh, I have an affection for many things in the in the Hoosier state. All right. Let's talk this morning about um, lament. Um, We are I hear two sides of this conversation. I hear some Christians saying um, there should be there should be no no lament. We should be people who are only declaring the goodness of God um, and the greatness of his character uh, and the redemptive reality of Jesus Christ in the midst of all of this. And to all of that, I say yes, but um, but the pain is real and the darkness is dark. Talk with us about the recovery of the, of the faithful practice of lament. Yeah, lament is a language in the Bible that is uh, often unfamiliar to Christians, at least on the front end. Uh, many of us, when we walk through grief, and then when you understand what lament is, it sort of explains what you've been walking through. 
And essentially what lament is, is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So it's a, a way to talk to God when I'm in the middle of a hard season that then moves me to recommit my uh, affections, my belief, my confidence in who God is. And what's interesting is a third of the Psalms reflect this minor key tone. So a third of the Psalms are laments, and it's a prayer language where uh, the, those who are talking to God acknowledge that two things are true at the same time. This is really hard, but I know that you're good. This is really scary, but I can trust you. And the Bible is full of that kind of language. It's just that many of us, for a number of reasons, haven't been that familiar with it. And one of my aims has been to kind of recover this historic prayer language. And doesn't it just seem gracious that God had you write this prior to this season that we now all find ourselves in? Um, people really need this right now. Yeah, they do. And it's it's interesting. I I wrote it out of our own personal journey of individual grief with the loss of a daughter, and uh, that then kind of tuned my heart to hear a broader uh, language of lament, and particularly the book of Lamentations, the longest lament in the Bible, actually speaks to what do you pray when the whole world around you kind of falls apart. And it's not just about individual grief. The book of Lamentations is about societal and nationwide grief. So it's a really important book for us to understand, especially during these days. Mark, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, could you, could you help us find and see some of those particular passages to which we might turn right now as people are trying to pray in the midst of, of all that's going on in the world? Sure. Happy to. Great. I'm talking with Pastor Mark Vrogop. You can find him at Mark. Uh, well, that doesn't look right. Well, what? Oh yeah, it does. Okay, I'm looking at my I'm looking at my notes and I'm trying to read the um, I'm trying to read the URL. It is Mark Vrogop. It's just spelled V R O E G O P. Mark Vrogop.com. The book is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. We'll be right back. I'm talking with Pastor Mark Vrogop. Um, although his personal website might be a little challenging for you to find unless you write down how to spell his last name, V-R-O-E-G-O-P, his church website is super easy to find, yourchurch.com. Okay, how cool is that? That's a College Park Church in Indianapolis. Mark, again, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. The book is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and it's helping us reconnect, rediscover the language and practice of lament. Uh, Mark, what what biblical laments, prayers of lament, experiences of lament, would you have us turn to in this particular season? Let me give you two. One that relates to Holy Week, very particular. Uh, Psalm 22 would be the first one, and then Lamentations chapter 3, which would be a very familiar text as well. So Psalm 22 is a lament, and Jesus on the cross actually quoted it when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? And then the psalmist goes on, and in verse 3 it says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And that's a great little snapshot of what lament is. God, why have you forsaken me, yet I know you're holy. And that's what the lament psalms do. They pivot on words like but, or even so, or um, uh, therefore, 
Um, and so what, what lament does is it turns us from, I'm in pain, but I know that I can trust you. So again, two parallel tracks that run at the same time. This is really hard, but I know that you're uh, really good. And then Lamentations 3, I mean, most Christians know the, the text. We love it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. What people don't necessarily know is that Jeremiah said that over a situation in Jerusalem that looked as if God wasn't faithful. And so he proclaimed a lament over the city with the confident faith of, I believe that you're faithful. I know that you're good. Your steadfast love never leaves me. It will never cease. And he proclaimed that over a city that looked like a complete wasteland. And so lament is one of the most theologically informed things that Christians do. It's one of the things that are is so deeply rooted in faith because we say, this is really bad but I know that you're good, and that's why lament is uniquely Christian. Mark, um, you have walked through the valley of the shadow um, in your own family, in your own experience. You've certainly walked it as well with uh, people of faith who God has gathered uh, to you as, um, as sheep, as one of his under-shepherds. Um, we, hear, we hear in the Scripture that God's mercies are new every morning, but sometimes it's hard to get up in the dark. Mm. Yeah, it certainly is, isn't it? And, um, you know, even the title of the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, comes from the book of Lamentations, where um, chapter two says, the Lord has set us under a dark cloud. And then chapter three says, but your mercies are new every morning. And so what I'm have tried to do is just to help Christians realize that there's mornings when you wake up and things are true biblically, things are true theologically, things are true that you know in your mind and heart, but they don't feel true in the moment. And actually real Christianity, I think, is walking through those seasons and saying, look, this is true even though it doesn't feel true today. And uh, just because those two things don't line up every single moment of every day doesn't mean that you're either failing as a Christian, doesn't mean that God isn't true to his word. And I'm trying to even normalize sort of the long, enduring run that uh, grief requires because grief isn't tame, uh, sorrow isn't manageable, and yet God is still good. I think that the, um, the long-term reality of not only the season that we're in, but the seasons it is then likely to produce um, in individual lives and then in the lives of particular groups of people after we have this COVID-19 experience uh, I, I do think that there's a long-term calling for Christians operating out of a, a genuinely um, gospel, redemptive worldview to be prepared to walk the long journey that is certainly going to be ahead of, um, of those who are going to experience grief and trauma in this season in ways that are completely unique and were unpredictable just a couple of months ago. Um, mm -hmm. talk, talk with us about walking with other people um, through grief for the long term. So important, isn't it? And, um, you know, the first thing just to um, people to realize is that, that walking through any kind of sorrow or any kind of grief, it's not linear. Uh, it's not like one, two, three, and there may be some kind of stages of grief or things of that sort. Um, what we need to realize, though, is that all grief is a product of the brokenness of the world that uh, needs to be redeemed through the, the person and work of Jesus. And so 
just realizing that to live as a human is to experience all kinds of sorrows. And so sorrow feels like an invasion. It feels so uncomfortable. And the first thing I think it's important for Christians to realize as we walk with one another is that this is going to be messy. This isn't going to be linear. Um, and the main thing that I can do is walk alongside my friend who's uh, in a hard place or in various seasons of sorrow and just be close to them. One, one author says, you know, come sit beside me on my morning bench. So presence and empathy is more important than answers and uh, trying to fix it. And so that's the first thing. Uh, and then the second thing is just to realize the importance of continually pointing one another towards truths that we believe, but in the moment, because of grief, don't necessarily feel true and not panicking when either doubt or fear uh, kind of hits us that uh, part of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus is fighting through those challenging emotions that sometimes are just um, not only unwelcome, but unpredictable. I want to invite people um, to, to join you and your church. If people don't have a church home and they don't have online resources right now, um, one of the things that you you guys have going on, you've got this downloadable discussion guide that takes us through the final chapters of the Gospel of John. Um, it looks like it picks up in chapter 18 uh, with the betrayal and the arrest in week one. And then we, but we wouldn't have to do it in week one. We could download this today. We could do chapter 18 today. We could walk, um, you know, we could walk through Easter, which is obviously going to be declared in John chapter uh, 21. Um Talk with us about about utilizing online resources like this downloadable discussion guide that you guys are offering at yourchurch.com. Um, talk about still engaging in the Word and with one another in the Word during this very strange season to be the church. We're trying to just do whatever we can to serve our people, you know, during this season because it feels at one level like everything has changed, but nothing has, right? Uh, mm -hmm. The gospel is still the gospel. The church is still the church, and our people still have spiritual needs. And so, yeah, in God's providence, we just happen to be going through the gospel of John. We've been in the gospel of John now for a year and a half, and um, we're coming to the conclusion here on Easter. So we have study guides available as we do throughout, you know, the course of um, every season, but this has a greater level of intensity. And so we've, as a church, even kicked it up a little bit in terms of we deliver content at 10 o'clock and two o'clock every day via blog post or Facebook live, just to help our people feel um, connected and, and help them just with their daily uh, spiritual struggles, which are more highly intensified. And yet at the same time, we also want to create a longing for what the church was before coronavirus, because there's something incomplete about our community. We miss one another. There's there's pictures on the seats, literally in the sanctuary, photographs that some people sent and put in, and we put those on the seats as just a reminder that uh, the church isn't a building, and online uh, delivery systems are fine, but they're not complete, longing for the day when, when our community will be back, gathered back together again, and the church will be uh, in its full expression, and we long for that day. I love that idea of of actually having pictures of the people who who are normally populating those seats, um, and then the reminders of those seats that are empty that God's going to fill. I hope that you um, share my sense that there's a there's a time of revival, there's a time of awakening. Are you 
Are you experiencing that as a pastor, seeing people asking questions and um, and and wanting to know more about what the Bible says, trying to make sense of these times? Yes, absolutely. We're we're seeing as as so many churches are uh, an unbelievable um, uptick in uh, people who are uh, watching services. Um, a good example would be a physician in our church had a conversation with another physician who was just like, how do you process these days? And what are you, what are you thinking? And this other physician isn't a Christian. And this uh, physician in our church said, why don't you watch my church's live stream? And so I got a picture of, uh, from, uh, our church member of, uh, this person's, uh, view of the, the live stream. And and then just yesterday got an email and this uh, unconverted physician uh, sent a message said, "Hey, I've I've opened up the Bible for the first time in a long time." So mm-hmm. you know I, we're hearing stories like that, you know, all over the place. Uh, you know, trauma and grief tends to help us to ask really important questions, and quite frankly, questions that we should have asked um, years ago. And so I think that's a a good blessing in the midst of a really hard time. Mark, thank you so much. Blessings on all that you guys are doing at College Park Church. You guys can connect uh, with Mark at yourchurch.com. The book is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it was a delight to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, if people are turning to God and they are um, asking questions they've never asked before, who who are going to be in a position to answer those questions? Who are the gospel people um, who are going to be ready to answer those questions? George Barna is with me next to talk about who in America really has a biblical worldview and how are we going to share it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. A couple of weeks ago, we did a live event on a Thursday evening. Your response to that was really great. So this Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Central Time. So this Thursday evening, 7 p.m. Central Time, Susie Larson and I are going to be co-hosting a Faith Radio live event, especially for those who are seeking intimacy with God during this Holy Week. Yes, we recognize it's Maundy Thursday. Um, and so if, you're, uh, if your church is having a, a live service, we want you to participate in that. You can always go back and Um, and watch ours later on the Faith Radio YouTube channel. But this Thursday evening, 7 p.m. Central, Susie Larson and I will be co-hosting a Faith Radio live event. You set a reminder on your phone to log into MyFaithRadio.com just a few minutes before 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. Follow the link to the video feed. We're going to walk through John chapters 13 to 17 and the events of this most holy of nights. Are you finding it nearly impossible to get through to your team? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's tough to reach your teen when he's got his headphones on all the time and all you get back is a grunt or one-word answer. But don't allow those obstacles to deter you. This is no time to back off. Find a way to engage your teen with funny stories from your past. Let them share in the humor of some of your dumb mistakes. Make sure they've heard about your family history and the reason you turned out like you have. These unfiltered moments will produce esteem, stability, and a sense of purpose. Mom and Dad, quit lecturing and tell some good old stories. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at parentingtodaysteens.org.
Well, I'm thrilled to reconnect today with my old friend, George Barna. Welcome back, sir. Uh, Carmen, it's great to be with you again. So, you know, people know you from a number of uh, different ways. They know you from the books that you've written, the research that you've done over time. Why don't you give people an update in terms of um, what you're doing now? Because this is an exciting new development. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I'm connected with Arizona Christian University. In addition to being a professor there, we've started something called the Cultural Research Center. And the purpose of that is to help the body of Christ be agents of transformation in our culture. And it's based on the idea that the decisions you make, the choices you make, are based on information. So we're trying to provide good information about what's going on in the culture. And one of the first things that we did, actually our first survey nationwide, is a worldview survey, because everything hinges on worldview. But then throughout the year, every year, we'll also be doing research related to the different spheres of influence in our culture. So we'll be looking at the church, at family, at government, arts and entertainment, information and news media, the schools, business and commerce, all those elements that play such a dramatic role in shaping what we believe and therefore what we do. We're going to be measuring that with benchmark measures and talking about if we want to change the trajectory of the country, if we want to change the character of who America is, we've got to address worldview and these other issues. And so we're really excited now to be able to start producing and sharing those research findings. So before we delve into um, the specific research, I'd love to just spend a moment talking about worldview related to the pandemic. I I feel like God has people's attention right now in a way that they have been, you know, they've been distracted by many other things. Um, But worldview is really evident when we start taking into spiritual consideration what's happening in the world, uh, issues of life and death. And certainly when we are talking about, you know, whether or not we derive our meaning and purpose from work with millions and millions of Americans now out of work um, and not distracted by all of the things that have been distracting many of us for so long, there's an opportunity right now to uh, be paying attention to God and the things of God. Um, Talk talk with us a little bit. You have this uh, piece posted, Treating the Pandemic as a Blessing from God. Tell me about that. Yeah, one of the things that jumped out at me uh, from the recent research we've been doing in relation to all this is that because people don't have a biblical worldview, they don't see something like the virus as a spiritual event. In point of fact, everything that happens in our life is spiritual. And, you know, we live in the midst of this battle between God and Satan. And so we have to understand everything through that spiritual lens. And the thing that struck me is that the dominant attitude, the dominant emotion right now in our culture is fear. People are afraid of the virus. They don't know what to make of it. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know where to turn to for strength or wisdom. And that's because they don't see it as a spiritual event. And so I'm hoping that people will understand this this is potentially a really positive time for us. Of course, we need to take the virus seriously. Yes, it is something that we don't want to get, and there are dramatic implications of the virus in many walks of our life. But if we can see this as a time to reflect, a time to understand God's role in our life, a time to understand the power, the control, the authority of God, uh, if we can see it as a time 
where we don't know if this is, you know, God's chastisement of us. We don't know if it's a punishment. We don't know if it's simply a reminder that we really need to put all of our trust and hope in God. We don't know if it's him simply pushing us to come back to him through prayer, worship, etc. You know, this is a time for course correction. And so if we can take this opportunity that's being given to us to examine, yeah, what am I doing in terms of worship? What am I doing with evangelism and, and, and discipleship and stewardship and service and my relationships with other believers? This is a great time to, to get back on track if we're off track, or for some people maybe to find the track that leads us to God and, and really puts us in a tighter connection with Him. And it's a great opportunity for families to be doing this together, to be sharing spiritual experiences that come out of the opportunity that we have from this. And a final thing I'll say about this is that the other thing I've learned from other research studies I've done is that so often we fail to see hardships that we experience, difficulties and challenges in our life, as a gift from God. But really that's what they often are because God loves us so much that he wants to get our attention. He wants us to come back to him. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. He wants us to be broken of the things that separate us from him, whether that's sin or self or society. I, I believe the virus can be one of the shining moments in America's you know, recent history if we look at it as a spiritual event and take advantage of it that way. I am talking with George Barna. I'm now going to introduce him as the Director of Research for the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. I would have, over the course of time, introduced him in a myriad of other ways, um, but this is exciting new work that uh, that George is doing. You can find it at ArizonaChristian.edu. You are looking, uh, when you go there, for the Cultural Research Center. And George, let's uh, let's take a very brief break, and then we come back. Let's dig into this American Worldview Inventory 2020, because if if what you and I observe about this current moment is accurate, and I concur with every observation that you just made um, about uh, about the experience that we're having, not only as a culture but you know as as humanity uh, writ large around the globe. Um, if we're right, then those of us who do have a biblical worldview, we're going to be really, really busy in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, because there's a very small percentage of us in the United States who are going to be the ones who are able to help people identify the reality of God and and actually find that um, that path that you were just describing, that way that you were just describing, um, because there's a f- pretty small percentage of the population that actually currently holds a biblical worldview. So next up, uh, George Barna and I are going to talk about the results of the American Worldview Inventory 2020. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with George Barna, Director of Research for the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. George, you have just completed this American Worldview Inventory 2020. What did you find out? Well, Carmen, the big picture is that when I started measuring worldview back in the mid-90s, it was, it was not a pretty picture back then when we had 12% of the adult population who had a biblical worldview. Today, in our 2020 measure, that number has literally been cut in half. Only 6% of adults in our country have a biblical worldview. 
And, you know, we like to be optimistic. We like to think things are getting better. The truth of the matter is when we look at the trajectory over time, but maybe more importantly, we look at it from a generational perspective, we have real reason to be concerned about the direction that we're headed in. Because when we look at the older two generations, baby elders and baby boomers, roughly 9% of those groups have a biblical worldview. That's bad. But then it's roughly cut in half to about 5% when we look at Gen X. And then it's cut in half again, down to just 2% when we look at millennials. Now, you can't get an awful lot lower than that. But the thing that concerns me the most, again, is what's going on from generation to generation. When you read in Deuteronomy 6 about what our responsibility is within the household, within our family, we need to be passing on our understanding of God, our love of God, our service of God, our relationship with God to our family, particularly to our children. Clearly that's not happening, because from generation to generation, the numbers are getting smaller. So it, it and it's not um, you can't just test whether or not somebody goes to church or even the right kind of church, because you found fairly low percentages of uh, of people actually operating out of a biblical worldview, even in evangelical Protestant churches. Yeah. And, and really, you know, one of the challenges I think that we face in terms of getting more people to embrace a biblical worldview is that we think it's the church's job to do that. And the scriptures, I think, are pretty clear that first and foremost, it's the job of family, and it's the job of the local body of believers that we call the church to be supporting the family in that process. Part of the challenge that we have is that it's not just family and church, though, that are influencing our worldview. You know, because worldview is the... the, the aggregate mental, moral, emotional, and spiritual filter that we have on life, that how we see the world, how we see ourselves in the world, how we choose to respond to the world, those are the key decisions that we're making. They're all driven by our worldview. It's akin to a uh, computer's operating system. That's what a worldview is for us. Without that operating system, a computer is just a, you know, a bag of bolts and wires. Without an operating system, we can't make decisions. That's our worldview. So we've got to understand that government impacts that. The arts and entertainment that we're exposed to impacts it. Information and news media impacts it. Uh, Schools and educational procedures impact it. Even business and commerce. All of these things are shaping our worldview. So, yeah, it's sad that churches aren't having nearly the kind of impact, and that's largely because we don't even focus on worldview development. We've done that research. We find the churches have confused the transmission of information from the Bible with a systematic way of understanding and responding to that information and being accountable for how we apply that information in our our moment-to-moment lives. So, yeah, you're right. It's, It's sad the churches aren't doing a better job, but it's not just all on the church. We've got to look back to the family. We've got to understand the impact of culture. Again, I'm talking with George Barna. George, I want to um, I want to actually read a quote, something that you have you have said about this American worldview inventory. And I'm reading this from a post uh, at the Cultural Research Center. These results put a fine point on the continuing trend and extensive decline of core Christian principles in America over the last several decades. 
in the American Worldview Inventory, we measure not just beliefs, but also the application of those beliefs, our behavior, because people do what they believe. Talk about that. Talk about measuring the doing, not just the believing. Yeah, you know, when I first got started looking at Worldview, I was taking it from the teaching that I'd received over the years in churches, through books, and, you know, other things. And so I was really focused on beliefs. And and then I started thinking about what I'd learned from doing research over several decades. And one of the things that you come to realize is that people sometimes tell you things that they think they should believe, or they tell you things they think you want to hear. They tell you things that they want to be part of the image that we have of them. But where you find out whether or not they really believe it is do they take that perspective and put it into practice. And so it's the very same thing that Jesus was finding with his believers. It's like, well, you say you believe this, but then you go and live in a very different way. You know, make sure that your life confirms what you believe. And so we got to this point where now my research looks at both of these because we need to have confirmation that if you say you believe something, you believe it enough that you're willing to actually do it. And that has become a key part of this where, you know, we asked 51 different questions about a person's worldview in this survey. But we split that between belief and behavior, looking for that conjunction of the two, because if you don't do it, you don't really believe it. What um, what connections, I guess, are you hoping people make from this? And then what's the path forward in terms of um, equipping Christians with a worldview that's genuinely biblical? Yeah, there's a lot to that. I mean, you know, when, when we think about it, for me, part of the driving factor behind this was I'm a, I'm a measurement guy. I believe that, you know, evaluation, self-evaluation, institutional evaluation, cultural evaluation, all that is critical to understand where we are, where we could be, build a bridge between the two. And so I kind of live with an expression, you get what you measure. And and as I was reading through the scriptures, preparing to do the study, there's some things that struck me, and, and that's that Jesus tells us what a disciple is. Each of us was placed on this earth to be a disciple, and that's why the Great Commission calls us to go out and make disciples of the whole world. And so he defines a disciple in John 8:31. He says, you want to be a disciple, be faithful to my teaching. In John 13:35, he says, you want to be a disciple, love people, love me. In John 15, 8, he says, you prove that you're a disciple when you produce much fruit in your life. And so those are the kinds of things that I think each of us need to be challenging ourselves with. You know, do we have a worldview that is based on Christ's teaching, based on biblical principles and truths? We know them well enough that we're really pursuing them. We know them well enough that they've begun to change our mind and our heart so that we're loving God all the time. He's always on our mind. We're always checking in with him. We're always seeking to to do what he's commanded us to do, seeking to do what brings him glory and honor. Are we producing fruit in our lives through those relationships with other people, through what we can do for society around us? So I, I think that's a critical thing for us to be doing. Churches can play a key role in this, but we've got to be intentional and strategic in terms of how we are literally developing 
a worldview alongside of people. And that means that we've got to start with children because we know that a worldview starts developing at 15 months of age. It's almost fully developed by 13 years of age. During the teen years and the 20s is a time when we take what we've developed and we refine it, figure out how to apply it for the rest of our lives. And so we've got to get started early. Families have to take the lead in this. Right now, only 5% of parents of kids 5 to 13 years of age have a biblical worldview, and you can't give what you don't have. So that means that grandparents are going to have to step up. Uh, Christian schools are going to have to step up. We're going to need the entire body of Christ to step into this vacuum that we have related to biblical worldview and very intentionally take this on as our priority to shape George Barna, thank you so much for all you're doing in this area. I look forward to our continuing conversation about this. To download the full American Worldview Inventory, you just go to ArizonaChristian.edu. What you're looking for is the American Worldview Inventory. Actually, if you just Google that, you can find it as well. Uh, George, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, great to be back with you. Thank you so much. Uh, We'll be right back. Aren't you jazzed to be alive right now? Aren't you Aren't you excited to be a part of this cadre of people that God is calling to step up and step into this vacuum that now exists? Uh, people are turning to the Lord. Kids are asking questions, and you're saying, <laughs> "I'm not sure I feel prepared for that." Well, there is literally a wealth of resources available, not only through this ministry, but through so many ministries. We've talked about. Uh, you know, going to just a particular church website and culling it for um, for the resources that might be available, or the resources available that George Barna just talked about. Uh, in the in the bottom half of the next hour, I'm going to talk with Jeff Myers from Summit Ministry about particularly equipping parents for the kinds of questions that your kids are asking today. There's a whole other hour of Mornings with Carmen up next, so stay with us. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.